So in all of our talk about opting out of systems and taking charge of our food supply, I have been getting a lot of Instagram messages lately from many of you who are ready to start growing stuff. You know, maybe you've been kind of watching things as 2020 happened and all the accompanying excitement in our society and uh, you've had it on your to-do list, but now you're kind of like, you know what? Prices are going up. Things are getting wonky. I am ready to grow some vegetables. Where do I start? So that is the topic that I am diving into with today's guest. I have Bailey Van Tassel with me today. She is a wife, mother, and garden blogger from Southern California, and she just has great information. She's super inspiring. We talked about everything from how to find the plot in your backyard and get it ready, kind of like the detailed way to get it ready, and then just the get it done method. We talked about mindset, um, and this is just a fantastic interview, so I know you're going to enjoy it just as much as I did. And if you are ready to reduce your dependence on the grocery store when it comes to vegetables, well, get ready to take some notes because here we go. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Hey, Bailey, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, as we were chatting a minute before I hit the record button, you know, this is, I feel like it's kind of the second wave of gardening interest that's coming through my channels, at least. And I know, I know you kind of echoed the same sentiment. Um, a lot of folks have been messaging me lately going, okay, uh, you know, I've been watching what's going on. 2020 was funky. 2021 has been interesting. I don't know where things are going to end up. So I'm ready to start gardening. I want to get some seeds. I need to convert my backyard. And so I'm starting to see like this wave of um, new gardening interest, which is fantastic. So I thought, you know, with all of your expertise, this would be a fun conversation for us to have today and give people some really meaty info. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to dig in. And I love that you and your audience is so into the depth and the meat of the conversation because there is a lot of surface information out there. Um, but there's not a lot of that tried and true practical, this is what I did um, out, you know, that's the stuff that we need. And so I'm excited to dive into that too. Absolutely. So let's just start like, you know, I, I got a message this week. I, I want to start a garden. What do I do first? Like, how would you answer that person if they are <laughs> brand new to this whole thing? Yeah. So I love that. I would start with, you know, space is going to dictate everything. So where do you have the space? Um, I'm assuming it's an outdoor space. We could talk indoor gardening too, but where do you have the space? And that's really going to be a few things, which is um, what's the soil like in the space that you have and how much sun do you get throughout the year? 
And what is your hardiness zone? So where are you in the country? Because not all gardening is created equal. When I started gardening, I was reading sort of like the basic gardening 101 books. And that just doesn't apply to me. Um, Where I am in zone 10B, I can garden year round. And Mm -hmm. a lot of plants that thrive in the spring will not work for me. I plant them in the fall. It's totally backwards. And so it's just become this evolution and sort of this intuition building of what I plant and when, getting to know my weather patterns, my microclimate, but um, not to overwhelm someone that's getting started, but really the the root of it all, pun intended, is going to be um, where your plant's going to thrive the most. And we'll probably talk more about this, but soil is super, super, super crucial mm-hmm. and learning how to feed your soil in response to what it looks like right now will be sort of your starting point. Okay. And how do you, like, if someone is brand new to this, like they literally just have a lawn, how, cause I feel like sometimes people get a little bit wound up in like the ultra details or, or mm. thinking like, if I don't do this perfectly, I'm like, something bad's going to happen. Or <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I don't know what they're necessarily thinking will happen, but it's like, there's some fear yeah. and there's some trepidation around, like, I got to do this right. So yeah. let's say someone doesn't have the time or the knowledge to do a full soil test. And they just like dig up their lawn. Is there a chance that will be okay? Like, what is your experience with that? Like, is that something that should be an absolute no? Or could you get away with it? So I am probably the worst. I never did a soil sample at my own house because I like to get in and fail fast. That's sort of the kind of person that I am. But (laughs) yeah, so um, there are a couple ways to do it. You could literally just rip up your lawn and you can either amend your existing soil, or you could create raised beds on top of your soil. You could throw a raised bed on top of your grass if you really want to, um, and put like a weed suppressant down and some wire and like, just go that way. Or you could cut a hole in your lawn. You could put a barrel on top of your lawn or a water trough. Like there's so many quick solutions, but let's say you're just like walking out onto a piece of lawn or just bare soil. You can amend it with a process that will sort of you'll just want to kind of dig into that top layer of earth that you have and evaluate, is it sandy? Like, does the dirt slip through your fingers? Does it stick a little bit? Like it's, we, we call it loamy is like the gardener's term, but that's like when you're feeling like um, a bag of potted soil is loamy. It's like kind of porous. It doesn't stick together, but it doesn't fall apart. It's just kind of like fluffy earth or you have clay, which is like dense, like you could make a pot out of it, which is what I have. (laughs) And all of those things can be amended to create hospitable soil, or you could just build on top. So like I said, you can throw a raised bed up and I would say at a minimum, I like a 12 inch tall raised bed. Um, But I also currently am working with berms that I created. So as a, I don't know if lazy is the right term, but just, I want to do things fast maybe is more what it is. I just built healthy soil on top of my existing soil. I amended it a little bit on the top and then just created really healthy soil, like chunks of soil on top of that. So you, um, it is a learning process and it does take some time, but it's, you're not going to do it wrong. Like just get started is, is my recommendation and learn from your mistakes. You'll be able to grow way more than you think. I've been able to grow like radishes in hard clay and it blew my mind. So, um, plants are more resilient than you think that they are. 
So it's interesting. You said you didn't, so you didn't test your soil when you first started gardening in your current location. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I didn't either, which is something I notice a lot. And I'm totally guilty of this as a creator <laughs> and a teacher, you know, there's the perfect path to do something, but I've noticed that a lot of times the experts like you and I, we don't actually, we didn't start off that way. And yeah. so, you know, when I'm teaching someone to garden, I love to teach them, like, if you want to do it right, you get a soil test and then you find your <laughs> compost and then we do that, you know, but yeah. like to be, I was the same as you. I literally dug up the prairie and I started planting seeds. I think I put some horse manure on it that wasn't old and had weed seeds in it. And yeah, then I yeah. planted and I got good harvest the first year. Yeah. So just to reassure anyone listening who feels a little bit caught up in the details, if you want to test and do all of your due diligence, that's cool, but you don't have to. Like if you yes. want to fly by the seat of your pants, you might get away with it. Like, like we did. <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> definitely. So I, yes, I agree. I wouldn't get hung up on the details. I would kind of just figure out what your starting point is. And then based on like your personality, go from there. So like I was starting out with um, just sort of this clay patch of land. And I was like, I just kind of want to get this moving. And I, I have one raised bed and then the rest we're kind of going to redo later. So I was like, I'm just going to find a way to plant in the ground. And so for me, I didn't even want to spend money on lumber. And so I was like, I'm just going to do these berms, which I don't think is marketed much but it has been very effective. And it, you know, it's almost like if you just cut into a bag of potting soil and started planting seeds in there, it's kind of similar. I mean, technically you could do that. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what I did. And that's what I think anyone could do if they're like, let's just go, let's just get started. So talk to me about these berms a little bit more. Is it like, uh, <laughs> is it a bed without like sides? And, and you said you created healthy soil on top. So did you like yeah. bring in potting soil? How did you do that? Yeah, so um, it is, they are essentially, yeah, like raised beds without sides, but they're only maybe four inches deep at this point. So what I did is sort of like, I took a gardening fork and loosened, I, I wetted and then loosened my clay because that's what I was working with. And I, at the time, um, and now I'm not sure that I would fully advise this because it doesn't turn into something as nutrient dense as you want long-term, but I used gypsum, which basically cuts into that soil and aerates it a little bit. And then I actually used fish emulsion to just insert some nutrients. And again, just create some like air in that clay so that when I put potting soil on top, it would start to create a couple more inches of better soil than I was going to have on top. So that clay, I sort of scratched into a little bit. I'm pretty big into no-till as an approach. Mm -hmm. I don't like to disrupt soil, even if it is totally trash clay like I have. Yeah. Um, and just create air. That's what you need with clay. And create some, insert some nutrients. So I did the gypsum and the fish emulsion and then compost. And then just like really, we, I use like Kellogg's Harvest Supreme when it's a bag soil. And I put that on top there and I let that kind of sit and hang out and did a little bit more fish emulsion and then, um, worm castings. Mm -hmm. And so that my first year is what I did. And that was like, I said about four inches of healthy soil with some of that clay, knowing that my plants and their roots would go into the clay a couple inches to create some space, fight to work hard and create happy plants and give me that first season of somewhat healthy veggies that I could get going. Um, and it really was a very fruitful season with that approach. And the berms I built were about three feet by 10 feet um, because there's only so much 
loose soil you can have without it starting to erode. Um, keep in mind as well, I have very mild winters, so we don't have a ton of rain that will wash away the berms. Um, but I did find once you plant the plants before any heavy weather comes in, their root systems really do keep the soil intact and healthy. Okay. And did you start to see over the time that healthy layer kind of start to creep down into the clay layer? Like, were you st starting to see more depth there? Yes, definitely. So one year later, so I, I plant in fall and spring and can kind of keep things going year round, but one full year later, fall to fall, when I came in and amended these beds, the soil was, com I mean, I wouldn't say completely transformed, but the top two inches of clay that I had, you know, amended a little bit were certainly so much healthier there was so much more air and this, it just, it was happier soil for sure. I, I didn't need to do that same process again. I just added compost and some worm castings this season and have seen tremendous results. Okay. And the no-till is something I've been increasingly intrigued over. Um, just, you know, I've always done kind of a hybrid, like where brothers hill, and then I'll try to just like in my raised beds, I just kind of turn it up with my shovel or, or a fork and I don't completely till it yeah. mechanically every year, but still I get more compaction and it's harder. Like there's no way I'm going to go and just plant a seed in there in the spring, most of the time without some sort of working of that bed. So I feel though, like for a new gardener, no-till is very attractive because they don't have to buy a rototiller, rent a rototiller. It's not as intimidating. So if someone is wanting to look at no-till for like their backyard, is that the method that you would recommend? Is what, what you described with the burns or like how else would you do that if it was like straight up lawn? Yeah, I would recommend, I mean, so I have the luxury of being able to do the no-till approach and create the berms. Mm -hmm. However, it is a little bit more expensive. Um, so if you want to try, I mean, the reason that we till, you know, traditionally is because it does, it loosens your soil for you without the cost and the time of finding alternative ways for mother nature to <laughs> loosen it or amend it for you. Um, so yeah, if you can, I would be like rip up the lawn and then start doing the no-till where you, a, a very traditional sort of no-till method would be like you rip up the lawn and then you put a weed suppressant layer down. I didn't need that. Nothing's growing in my clay. Um, so, but that would be like, um, you know, a piece of cardboard that doesn't have anything printed on it and maybe even cover that with like some compost and some mulch and then cover that with plastic, like in the winter and start to sort of kill anything, like any of the lawn and the weed seeds. And then that's also going to nourish your soil and bring it back to life a little bit so that you can like work with that soil. But again, if time is not on your side and you're like, I'm just ripping up my lawn and I want to plant something in the next week, yeah. you might need to till it and, and loosen that soil up at least that one first time okay. to really get things moving. And it's not, I'm, I would never condemn anyone for doing that because I mean, lawn in my mind is just like suffocating the earth anyways. So you're sort of freeing that space up and you're getting things moving. I would just say you're really going to, to continue to till is just stripping your soil of nutrients. So once you get that garden going, what I recommend is like when you're turning your beds over, you just cut everything at the very top of the soil and let the root system stay and keep that sort of nutrient dense web intact so that when you come back next season, there's like a lot of work happening for you. So you don't have to tell. 
is sort of, that's the long game. And that makes me feel a measure of reassurance just because I have felt like that self-induced, I'll admit, shame. Like in times when I've broken new garden beds and I'm like, I'm tilling, I know I shouldn't be tilling because I don't know what to do. And it's a really dense like grass, but it's just nice to hear you say like, it's and, and that's probably very realistic for maybe your average suburbanite, you know, yes, they have a very well manicured lawn and it's going to make sense potentially then to go rent a tiller for a weekend, yes. take care of that. And then they can get more creative and regenerative with their practices. Yeah. I would rather you get in there and just get started in any way that makes sense than feel like you have to be like this pious gardener. That's like following all the ecological rules. And again, too, the, this is, this is new information. Like our, we've had successful gardens for years in all different ways. And I think being able to, I think gardening is so much more than just feeding your family. So getting in and doing it in whatever way you can get started, like literally today, you're like, I listened to the podcast. I'm inspired. I'm like, just get it girl. Like just go do it. However you can do it. I feel like you and I are very similar in this aspect of just like, go do it. Even if it's wrong, just do something. Cause there's something magic about taking action and action. It reduces fear. It builds confidence. And even if you completely screwed up, I just have found, like you said earlier, fail fast. Like that works better for me than trying to gather all my information, wait six months, think about it. Yes. And then stick the shovel in the dirt. Well, and I think the key to to even becoming more self-reliant in general, because I know that's something you talk a lot about is is the giving yourself the opportunity to build confidence and gain intuition. And you're only going to get that if you get started and you fail and you just figure it out because that will just hone your skills. Um, And I do even still, sometimes I take like a, I guess like a broad fork and, and you do need to sort of get under there and give some air to your soil sometimes just to circle back to reassure you. I think that's always something we have to do. It's definitely um, just that full turnover of the bed that we like discourage, but like getting in and creating a little bit of looseness. I'm all about it. Yeah. And that's helpful. I have some of my raised beds that got better soil when we filled them and they're fantastic. Like it's like dream soil and I don't really have to till them or or not even tell them like work them in the spring, Mm -hmm. but then I have my back beds. They got the brunt of the clay like left at the bottom of the pile and they're, they're monsters, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like what you said. I've heard you say it twice, intuition. I feel like that is, I talk about that a lot on the podcast, like listening to your gut. I don't feel like that's spoken enough about in the self-reliant circles because there yeah. is a time, like I have lots of books and I listen to experts and I am mm-hmm. getting, I'm doing research, but there's just a time you have to just do it and listen to your gut. And like, I think as a society, we're so conditioned to play by the rules, like to a fault that oh sometimes we lose the ability to kind of think for ourselves. So I love that you're, you're going like, pay attention to the details, but also just sometimes just, just do what you feel like is the right choice at that point. Yeah. Well, and it was, I'm a totally recovering, like rule follower, people pleaser, perfectionist. And, you know, we could go into the psychological components of my life, which we don't need to, <laughs> but um, gardening really freed that for me. It was my space where I was like, I am just gonna do what I feel like I should do. And yes, do some light reading, but just get out and have the experience. And, um, it's been a really, that has been really life-giving for me. So I do, there's so much that I, I think you and I would both want to teach someone to help them be successful, but to a certain degree, I'm like, part of the method is going to be just you learning it on your own. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. 100%.
So, okay. So we've talked about like finding the space. Cause that's really, I think the big hurdle to overcome for your new gardeners is where the heck do I put this stuff? Yep. Do you have any tricks? I get a lot of people and I don't have this issue because I have no, no trees and a lot of sun. So shade <laughs> is not something I have to worry mm. about, mm-hmm. but a lot of people live in areas with beautiful trees and a mm. lot of, you know, cover. So are there any expert tricks you have for dealing with a super shady backyard? Yeah. Um, I know there's some, you know, there's cold weather crops or shade varieties of vegetables, but what's your tricks there? Yeah. So, uh, the first thing that I kind of want to share is when do you have your shade? So there's just plants that will thrive in shade all the time or like just sort of, you know, and those are, and that's kind of what you're referring to where it's like you buy something and it's, it's meant for the shade. But I have areas of my yard that get morning shade and or afternoon shade. And there's a big difference between that because morning sun is gentle, afternoon sun is harsh. And that's going to be a directional thing. So is your garden on like a, is it on like the south facing side of your property or the west facing side of your property? So getting into the nitty gritties directionally on where your land is and how and when the sun and conversely shade is going to hit your land is important. And so I remember I first started gardening, I made myself a little chart where I wrote down, you know, the hours of sunlight and I went and, you know, each hour in the day and I went out and put a little check mark when there was sun, you know, at 8am, at 9am, at 10am, oh shade at from 12 to four or whatever. So knowing that, um, is really, really helpful. If you're more just like, you kind of get the gist by looking out in your yard and you're out there and you get it. I have like a bed that, cause we're, I'm deep suburbia. So I have like shade being cast from a neighboring house, uh, which I'm like, Ugh. Um, and it's only shaded, you know, for like three hours in the middle of the day. And so I do plant differently. I don't need to put like something that is shade-based in that spot. I just need, cause I know that it's getting six to eight hours of sun in, in other times, but it will give those plants like a break. So shade is either a living condition for a plant or it's a welcome like break for your plants. Some plants just aren't going to do well with that blazing heat all day, like lettuce or spinach, for example. Um, but they are going to be fine if they get, you know, moderate sun, like going to get that like four hours of like pretty morning sun, your spinach is going to be super happy. And then they're going to get shade the rest of the day and they're going to have sunlight but it's like partial sunlight. So I would just say, um, again, plants are more resilient than you think. And I think if they're getting sunlight at least like four to six hours, just like your average plant should be okay. And then if they're getting some shade, like I wouldn't consider that needing to be a shade plant in that area, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That's reassuring. Um, and I think some people maybe are assuming if it's like even a couple hours of shade, then they're stuck, but yeah. Yeah. Good to know that you can, you have some leeway there. Yes, for sure. I would definitely, I just think you want, some plants will do fine with like four hours of sun. So I would think more about that because the sun I think can be actually a little more damaging than the shade. And, and sometimes shade yes. just means slower growth and smaller plants mm-hmm. than it does mean like dead plants. So that's something to consider as well, which is like, maybe my lettuce isn't going to be like grocery store size romaine, which by the way, it won't ever. It's not meant to be, (laughs) not meant to be that size. Um, but you just learn to adjust your expectations too, of what like homegrown vegetables, um, are supposed to do and look like. Okay. And that brings me to my next question. It's a great segue. Um, okay. So if someone's thinking, I want to stop buying grocery store vegetables, it's really overwhelming when you get the mental image of the produce aisle 
at Walmart and you're like, oh gosh, how am I going to grow all that? Or how am I going to even grow everything I buy on my shopping list that's from the produce aisle? How do you sort through that? Yeah. So I think first and foremost is it's sort of a mental thing. You need to kind of get your mind right on why do I want to make this change? And what is it? What do I, what am I hoping that it does for me physically, emotionally, from a nutrient perspective. And, and any reason is fine. Like, I just want to do it. I'm just into growing, but that's like me. I'm like, I just want to grow everything I can grow because I'm obsessed. Mm -hmm. But also I think there are also reasons and I I harbor some of these as well, which is, you know, you're learning more and more about um, chemicals that are in the grocery store grown vegetables. And it's not even the vegetables, it's the soil that they're grown in, right? Where we're talking about um, glyphosate and other pesticides and herbicides that are in soil of even organic vegetables. We just can't avoid it. And if you're like, I just want to opt out of that system to use, to borrow your phrase. Um, I think it's just important to remind yourself of this is sort of my why. And, and cause it's, cause it does take an adjustment from there, which is okay. I don't get to eat all the vegetables available at the grocery store all the time. So it becomes a lot more about knowing what's seasonally appropriate for you because a lot of the vegetables are being shipped from places like Mexico where they're close to me, where it's like they could grow veggies year round, but that's not going to work in Wyoming. So um, learning what's available and what's seasonal, or if you have to grow everything all at once, um, how to preserve it, can it go from there um, is kind of where we want to go. But I do think there's, there's a heart component to it, which is, okay, why am I doing this? Like, and let's be dedicated to that bigger picture because that will help you when you're just trying to navigate that. Cause it is, it's a bit of a commitment for sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, talk to me about hero veggies. I, I yeah. That in, in, in email. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in trying to describe, okay, I want to like replace I don't want to buy vegetables from the grocery store. Pick your hero veggies, which is like, these are the cornerstones of our personal diet. And this is what I want to make sure is successful. So for me, that's going to be like onions, potatoes, um, lettuces, and things that are really uh, carrots, um, really nutrient dense, um, and also long lasting and that you can grow a lot of because that's what you need is abundance to be able to last you through. Um, I think in some ways we consume more veggies than we think because we're just on automatic. We're like, oh, I'll just grab three red bell peppers in, you know, December. And because that's what the recipe calls Mm -hmm. for. But at the same time, when you're growing your own food, you start to realize how little you truly need because you're really planning based upon the yield that you have. So I'm like a handful of tomatoes I can make last for three meals if I need to, if I'm adjusting the way that I eat for my vegetable garden. Um, So those hero veggies are the ones you're just going to go big on and you're going to be, like I said, maybe it's the onions, potatoes, carrots, and lettuce and peas or something. So you're going to start there in terms of planning and it's how many of those, how much of that am I going to eat? And so, and how much do I need for my family? So say you're like a family of four or five, you kind of figure out how much you guys consume of those things. And I would plant enough plus a little bit more because crops fail or pests get to things. And even if it's like, I always have one or two just weak plants where the seeds don't germinate as well, aphids get to them and then they just get weak and then they just, so, um, but those are the ones that you're just going to really try and count on and sort of commit to yourself. 
Because I think that will create some of the confidence too, where you're like, I didn't buy a single potato in 2022. Like, that's brilliant. That's amazing. So I would go big on those. And um, it's sort of, I remember this analogy, sort of a business analogy where um, in terms of the priorities of your life, you put the big rocks in first, right? Like the kids and your marriage, and those are the big rocks in your jar. And then you put in the little rocks in your jar And, you know, that's like extracurriculars and hobbies and starting that side business. And then you dump in the sand to like fill in all the gaps and that's, you know, extra fun stuff. And, you know, that's the littler things that you love about life, but they're not the big priorities. When you're planning your garden, I kind of do the same thing. So I'm thinking, what are my hero veggies? Where are those going to go? Where are those going to thrive physically in the garden? And then the rocks on top of that are going to be like, what are good companions for those plants that we've placed? that we also enjoy eating. So let's say we've got like our, you know, potatoes going in, then a great companion would be like, oh, you know, we can throw chives in with the potatoes. I use that a lot. I make chive salt. I use that in place of onions, honestly, in a lot of recipes because it's easy to grow, take shallow rooted. Um, And then the sand on top of that would be like, maybe this year we should grow tomatillos. Like, you know, that's the stuff. So when you're really trying to be serious about the garden converting into, you know, ruling out the grocery store, you just want to go in with like, I know I can grow enough of this and then outwardly become more successful by, you know, planting really good companion plants, avoiding plants that don't go well with each other and staying sort of strict about, you know, these, I can grow this successfully. It's nutrient dense for my family and I know we're going to use it. I like that. I, lo- I love that analogy. I've used that um, rocks and sand in time management teachings. I've done, yeah. but It's brilliant with the vegetables and it's just great to help sort through the weeds of I have to plant everything all the time, um, which I, I don't do. I have 67 acres. I don't, I don't do that. <clears throat> There's just things I'm like, I'm going to focus on this and I'm just not going to worry yeah. about this one. Yeah, for sure. And it is, I think like my first few years of gardening, sometimes too, you're like watching other people garden and you're seeing cool plants and you're excited. And there's a little bit of just that natural, you know, like the social media gardener. Yes. Um, yes. but, and just, you're excited to try things. I was like dying to try to, to grow cucamelons. And I finally did. And I'm like, okay I'm just gonna plant more squash like (laughs) and it becomes more it it never loses its excitement even if it's like you've grown a thousand tomatoes it's still exciting Mm -hmm. to see like their yellow blossoms evolve and then the green tomato comes and it's like the magic is still there this episode is sponsored by us we are so excited to be kicking off the launch of our brand new beef business genuine beef company and we're now able to ship our Wyoming raised beef nationwide This is beef that we have raised ourselves. It doesn't come from overseas, like a lot of the grass-fed beef you see on the market. It's grass-fed and grass-finished, dry-aged to perfection, and processed in a USDA facility where it is vacuum-sealed for maximum freshness. We now have ground beef, roast steaks, and all sorts of different bundles available. All you have to do is go online, order, and we'll ship it straight to your doorstep. Head on over to GenuineBeefCo.com to see what we have to offer or follow us over on Instagram, GenuineBeefCo, for recipes, tips on cooking grass-fed beef, the latest flash sales, and a view of what it's like to ranch out on the wide open Wyoming prairie. Plus, if you use code PODCAST, you'll save 10% on your order. And now, back to our episode. So in your, so you are in the suburbs, you said, yes, you have a big yard or like a regular size yard. Kind of tell us your setup. I'm just so yeah, we actually even bought this house because 
it's a beautiful home and I'm like so grateful, but there was this side yard that was just like a mulch patch. Like it was, I was it wasn't shown in any photos on the listing and I didn't even want to see the house. I'm like, there's no room for my garden. I'm not going. And then, you know, I show up, I'm trying to be supportive and I'm like, oh wait, there's, so we're on, gosh, maybe a quarter of an acre, right? So that's like okay. a 10,000 square foot lot, maybe. Yeah. And I've got the house is like, um, well, maybe a third of that. And then I have like a fourth of the actual yard. So it's like, it is not big at all. My mom's always like, your garden looks a lot bigger on Instagram, <laughs> but it's, um, I'm trying to think it's probably, it's probably, it's probably like 800 square feet. Okay. That's awesome. So I mean, we, I'm all about vertical planting and like, uh, I do sort of my own approach, but it'd be a little bit similar to like square foot gardening. So I don't garden as much in long rows. Um, and I absolutely never respect the spacing requirements on planting. Like who wrote those? I, mean, I don't, on, yeah, on. you don't need <laughs> 18 inches in between no. onions. It's not a thing. No, no. Um, so <laughs> So we make do like a lot with what we have. We've, I've not yet ha- been able to fully replace all of our vegetables like from the store, but that will be the goal. And I think with a mixture of planting the way that we are now and going vertical is what will really help. So a lot of like arch trellises in my future to help bring things up off the ground. Yes. I need to do more of that too. Um, not even, I mean, to save space kind of, but mostly because I had a disaster this year. I don't know if you saw the picture of my greenhouse. I was like, I'm going to build those arches. And then I didn't. And I, it was, it was not good. So. Well, and I think we also underestimate how much airflow plants need. And so yeah. for my area, powdery mildew is a big issue. And, you know, just in addition to needing the ground, um, needing that airflow is something I never read about, never heard about until I had problems when I was like, why is no one talking to me about pruning my zucchini? Yeah. Air is, air oh. is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what would you say, what percentage wise, um, just cause I know there's a lot of people in a similar situation as you with a, you know, a yard and an 800 square foot garden spot, like what percentage of your uh, vegetables are you able to grow from that roughly? Oh, I would say definitely mm, like 60 or 70% at this point. That is awesome. And so awesome. it's super awesome and fun, but it's also, like I said, we just, I've adjusted the way that we eat to make it work as well. And so sometimes like we get grumbles from the family a little bit about it, but it's, it's just kind of changed that for us a little bit. And so it's, um, I feel super lucky though, that we get to do that. And it's been really fun to see my husband's like from the suburbs of Chicago, I grew up on a farm. So I'm like this we should be, you know, farming enough for the entire community. And he's like, I can't believe we grew a tomato. (laughs) So um, it is really, it's really cool. It's super, super, so much more possible even in the suburbs than you could ever imagine. And even like, um, I started out gardening with two four foot by eight foot raised beds that were 18 inches deep, just two beds. And that transformed the way I thought about growing food because we got so much more than I ever imagined. And it really opened my mind to like, okay, I don't need to live this like bucolic farm life that I wish I could live to still, you know, inhabit some of the values that I want to have and teach my kids about it and do all of that. 
And that is so just dead on what you said. Cause I, I feel like, you know, there's a time and place if someone wants to buy the farm and get the milk cow, that's cool. But like with the way, you know, just the uncertainty of culture right now, I'm like, okay, now the rubber's meeting the road guys. Like it's time to figure out how to get creative with what you have. Um, not out of a place of fear or anything, but there's a really good time to secure, you know, where your food's coming from and understanding where it's coming from. And whether it's a local farmer, you're growing it yourself. I think it's the time is now to figure out how to make what you have work. And um, that's why I love talking to, to people like you who have taken, you know, a suburban lot and are doing amazing things with it. Cause that's really what it's all about. I think even more so than someone like me who has the little homestead with the little, the cow and the fences, like what you're (laughs) doing is really the key here. That's, that's crucial. Oh gosh. Well, I think that, thank you. And I think it's this, um, I mean, I read a lot about this, but I think, you know, back in like the forties when people were, the government was pushing victory gardens and people were sort of, they felt like they had to make do. I feel like we're sort of in a second wave of that where people are starting to feel like maybe I have to figure this out. And I encourage you to do it because so where we are, I mean, I am not even joking five minutes away from a target and I could have anything delivered at any moment of the day, but that is not sustainable. And we saw that happen when the world shut down and all of a sudden you just get so used to that. Um, and I'm, I, again, this is maybe a little bit more existential, but I just don't think comfort and convenience are what build character. And I don't Amen. think that just because you live in the suburbs, it, that is not your excuse to be like, well, <laughs> I can just run to the store. It's like, Hey girl, it's bigger than that. It's about yeah. like proving to yourself that you can do it. It's about, um, I think also being able, I, the com- the community responds so beautifully too. like when we moved in, our neighbors were like, Oh my gosh, you've got these little kids and you're like gardening and you know, that's crazy. And it's like, no, but is it, you know, it's, it's become a really like, we see other it's, it's um, it becomes contagious. So we see other people like, well, maybe I could have a raised bed or maybe I could use these little window planters to grow herbs instead of, you know, geraniums. And it's like, yes, there are so many ways to just get started and, and get excited about it. And, and for us too, living in a really, I live in Orange County, California, where I have literally met the real housewives. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> speaking of putting the big rocks in the jar, it's like, I think filling our time and our attention up with, with these lovely pursuits, um, they only make us better and, and teach us more about ourselves and about, you know, just, just to think discerningly. Amen. So just to dig into something you said, which I thought was brilliant, uh, you, you kind of answered it, but I'm just curious because I'm working on a project right now and doing some research around this topic. So you said you're five minutes away from a target. You could buy anything you want. I mean, you're in a place where it's definitely, you know, ha- you have way more access to exciting stores and, and vendors than I do. So <laughs> what was that initial push that made you want to do the hard thing? Like yeah. gardening is harder than buying it at Super Target or whatever they call it. Yeah. <laughs> make a target. I don't even, we don't yeah. have one here. I don't know if they're called super Walmart, make a target, whatever. Um, what was the thing that pushed you towards the harder path? I didn't want my kids to just grow up and be entitled and totally disconnected from the parts of myself and my family that I'm really proud of. So I grew up on a little hobby farm and just the best people that I know to this day, the people that show up 
at your dad's funeral, the people that answer your call, no matter what, the people that would drive six hours to pull your truck out of the mud. Those people are the people that do the hard work. And those are the people I witnessed in my life, like do those beautiful things. And they just, um, I don't know, those were the gardeners and the farmers and, and just people that chose simplicity when I know they had other options because it was like the true and right thing. And it just, it was sort of what, um, what polished their stone. And so as I started having kids, I was just like, I feel like I live in this place where people don't have those values anymore. People aren't working hard. They're not starting businesses. They're not re, you know, they're not putting a car together from scratch. Like they're not doing the hard work because they've been taught that they don't have to. And it's like, you know, just the easy, you know, just money solves everything. And it's just not about that. So when I started having my kids, I was like, my husband and I were arguing a lot about where we were going to live. And it did not really make a ton of sense for us to leave Orange County. And so I was like, okay, then I'm just going to be against the grain. And I'm just going to be like, tap into my farm roots, and I'm going to start gardening. And um, I started with like one pot that had six, like a pot that had six things in it. And I became so obsessed with that one pot. Um, And that's when I actually petitioned our HOA, I was living in a condo, petitioned our HOA to transfer this like dead patch of lawn into these two raised beds and then share all the veggies with, I mean, with the neighbors. And they're like, okay, fine. So we did that and it was incredible. All of our spare time, me and my like eight month old are out in this little garden. And it really did transform my life the way I hoped that it would, where it became a priority for us. It was exciting for us. To this day, my kids eat all their vegetables. We're introducing yeah. neighbors. Like I had neighbors who had never tasted basil. They had never had just like homegrown basil. Yeah. Um, and it was really cool. So we got to know the neighbors better. We got to know what we were eating better. It just opened up this whole can of worms and it just became really, um, just really beautiful for our family to care really deeply about something like that in a, in a time and a place where it's just maybe not valued by everyone. Yeah. That is beautiful. Like so well said. And this, I think it encapsulates what so many people are feeling right now. Um, and choosing that hard, even though, you know, technically we don't have to, like, I've been talking about grocery store shortages, but honestly, I went to the grocery store last night and most of the shelves are full. So it's not like it's this super urgent thing at this exact yeah. moment in time, but so many of us are feeling, and I, I, you and I have felt it for a long time, but now this whole new wave of people are feeling that. And I think it's crucial and important and you summed it up really well. So thank you oh, for that. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I, I mean, I'll be honest too. I, I run sort of anxious and I think that the collective vibe is a little anxious, like, yeah. because things feel very out of our control. Things feel very unknown. We don't know who, what to believe, where to even consume information if we were to believe it. And I think the antidote to that is to just sort of reclaim, you know, mm-hmm. and take back some of our control and some of our agency. And again, reinstill ourselves with confidence and trusting our own intuition. And if that comes from growing a French breakfast radish, I think we're all the better for it because it just, there really is an even bigger, you know, there's climate and earth and like all of that too. So it's just like one small way. I think that you can sort of be like, I'm going to do this, even if it's just for me and it, it will become bigger. Absolutely. Yeah. It starts with the food. And like, I think a lot of people come into it. I did like, I just want to eat. I just want to have better food or I want to save money. And then you start to realize, whoa, there's like way more to this in a very good way. It's, it's very uh, connecting to nature and it's good for mental health and physical health. And just like, yeah, there's, there's something to it. I think that's why we're 
is humans supposed to be tied to the earth in, yes. in that way? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Well, Bailey, this was fantastic. Excellent. Excellent uh, chat. Where can people find you if they want to keep up with your gardening adventures? Oh gosh. Um, you can find me at baileyvantassel.com. B-A-I-L-E-Y-V-A-N, like the car. Tassel, T-A-S-S-E-L.com or on Instagram, same thing. My handles just at Bailey Van Tassel. Those are where, that's where I hang out the most. Awesome. So everybody go check out Bailey's stuff and thank you again for coming on. This was a joy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. I'm so grateful. And so thank you very much. 